Welcome to Dungeons Demogorgons, the officially unofficial podcast for Stranger Things on Netflix. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we're back for one uh, final episode for the next month uh, until the rest of the show comes back uh, to do a recap of, of how, how we're feeling about the, the series up to this point. Um, you know, Stranger Things 4 and uh, also consider, boy, just a boatload of feedback from from the first reports that I'm hearing. Uh, Aaron, what's the situation over there? It turns out when you do like seven episodes worth of feedback in one mm-hmm. go, you get a bunch. We had something like 37, 38 pages of feedback before I started whacking it down. <sighs> Fortunately, a lot of people had similar thoughts, so I was able to kind of like go sure. with the you know first one with it, the kind of the idea, um, and and I was able to to, to cut down some other stuff. But uh, you know, for, there there was three or four that I would have otherwise read, um, but we just I don't think we have the time for it. We'll see. I think we're going to have a solid hour of feedback. We'll see how it goes. Uh, do you have any? Uh, I don't think we have any thoughts that we didn't get out already in the episode seven coverage. Yeah. So I mean, if you listen to to our coverage of all the episodes you you pretty much know my thoughts on it like i i found it very entertaining i think it the the longer format only really heard it in like one spot Mm -hmm. um kind of kind of somewhere there in the middle and the rest of it i almost didn't notice how long the episodes were and there's some people that said that our least favorite episode which i think uh, was uh dear billy was their favorite so we got some feedback on that. So uh, it, it seemed like it was pretty successful all around. Only one or two negative pieces of feedback. We'll consider those. Um, let's get into it, I guess, with Jonathan from the UK. No doubt, suitcases full of cocaine. <laughs> the uh-huh. <laughs> the abandoned building a Hawkins, the Hawkins baseball team are hanging out in is Benny's Diner from season one. Oh, right. Yeah, I saw these emails. I saw those even and like that makes perfect sense. And it is exactly like what kind of like burnt out kind of, you know, out of business places. This that's a uh, real good catch. Everybody. Wish yeah. We'd for, people, that on the- for, for people who don't remember Benny's diner by name, it's the place where Hopper met up with L essentially like she yeah. ran to and the cook there was like taking her in or whatever. And Took she got scared and, the whole, and he- the whole place got like shot up, exploded. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. For, for I can't remember troubles. exactly, but oof, the Hawkins Lab down. people came in there and uh, wreaked havoc. Yeah, thanks for that, Jonathan. Uh, appreciate it. Moving on to Lebo said, "I want to call or talk about my main main my main man crush this season. I was getting badass vibes from the Demetri character, the prison guard. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I instantly liked him and thought he was going to be super important to Hopper. I think Dimitri was also the Enzo, uh, Jack and Hagar. Oh, okay. Well, my lady IMD beat him, and it turns out a man doesn't forget, uh, as the man has been named, the actor Tom Walashia. Walashia? I don't know. That's It's, it's very huh. uh, The Witcher. Has been a Bald Move fan favorite before. If you've not guessed already, he was a, a Game of Thrones faceless man, Jack and Hagar. Might be an actor to watch for on the bald move badass list in the next few years. Hmm. On that side. Um, so the thing is, you need to. Uh, so, so he's referring to our annual badass festival, which is starting in July, by the way. We're going to mm-hmm. have more uh, Sly Stallone, more Arnold Schwarzenegger, more B and C tier badasses for you to enjoy in, in, uh, uh, in July and go over our badass rankings. You need at least two roles. 
to be considered or like one super iconic one. Like if you've played Batman, yeah. then you're a first ballot hall of badasser. But uh, he's now got two badass roles. I guess you would call this badass. I uh, Yeah, kind of. I feel like Hopper is more of the badass in this situation. But yeah, he's along he's the, for the badass the, ride. The man mountain. Lebo, if you if you want uh, submit his name next month, like, you know, you get, get it into us either um, through email or one of our live uh, one of our live streams on Twitch when we're going to be doing the badass debates. Um, on that side note, can I veer off the mention of Mad Mickelson is on the list? I want to nominate him for the next update as he played some stellar badass roles. I'm not sure if he is. Again, we'll be nominating new new bad. We're, we're we'll be nominating new badasses for the badass Hall of Fame next month on twitch.tv slash bald move. For the final reveal of number one, I found myself losing a bit of focus. This is due to the show's choice of music and it's very long reveal. The music, which is also used for my favorite hero origin story, The Watchmen's, is Dr. Manhattan's and is iconic. That five-minute sequence was the best part of The Watchmen and worked beautifully at the two Phillips glass pieces. Anyway, the more I thought about it, the more Dr. Manhattan connections I made to time, the clock, and the transformation of a man into a godlike being. There's probably even more to unpack, so curious to hear your thoughts. It's possible. This This takes place in the spring of 1986. In the fall of 86, the Watchmen debuts on comic huh. stands everywhere. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there is a little bit of an homage to the clockwork, the clockmaker son, because I was Possibly. thinking throughout the whole season, what the fuck is going on in this grandfather's clock? And, I, you know, in the early episodes, I was trying to keep track of when the clock was gonging and what time it was. And I don't think that turned out to be anything, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and a guy who's kind of unstuck from time. Um, it, it, they might be playing it because we do know that that Stranger Things loves to play with pop culture references of the exact era that they're in, as far as yeah. music and the movies they're referencing and things like that. So, uh, when was the first Freddy Krueger nightmare? On oh, a lot earlier. Street. I think was it? Okay, I think it was early eighties, eighty four. So, yeah. Uh, okay, not that much it's, earlier. Yeah, only a year, year and a half before. Um, so, you might be onto something. We'll, we'll keep an eye. We'll keep an eye on the Dr. Manhattan and, and Watchmen. Because the other thing is this. Uh, I'm sure when we come back, it'll be right after. It's it's not going to jump forward into the fall, would it? Uh, I don't know. I mean, we, we kind of leave it in the middle of things. I don't know how yeah. they cannot deal with Vecna and what's going and on hoppers right now. in the middle of a russian prison yeah right. we, we, so so maybe but maybe i wonder if it's a um, a little bit of a four gleam for season five we'll have to see mm-hmm. taylor says i want to discuss the number one character that ends up being the ultimate bad guy when he first came up to the scene i thought for sure he's kind of creepy but more in a psychosexual way rather than the pop eyeballs like grapes kind of way why not both but when he started his insane 11th recruitment speech, his whole face changed to become 100% more intense and menacing. It's pretty mesmerizing. I was taken completely in by his crazy, crazy eyes. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed it and hope to see this guy in some more roles in the future. Yeah, yeah this guy's got like one of the lesser Skarsgård brother type of vibes. Like he can play sure. a really, really, I could see him in clown makeup is what I'm saying. I could see him <laughs> the blurring bill. little boys in the, the sewers. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I like this dude a lot. Um, 
yeah, I, I was very impressed by him. He was able to play like kindly orderly and also evil, evil time demon guy. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested in seeing what he does after this. Brad's next. He says at the end of the third season, we see a group of Soviet scientists vaporized by the key as it breaks. And we're supposed to believe Hopper avoids this fate because he fell a few feet. Mm-hmm. Also, we get multiple scenes of U.S. soldiers scouring a facility, presumably only a short while after Joyce shuts the key down. I find it hard to believe the Soviet soldiers would have stayed to investigate the situation when they'd known they'd been compromised and enemy troops are incoming. Finally, how did they all get uh, get all the way from the Hawkins back to Russia with a prisoner undetected? I've been hyped for the explanation for how Hypers, Hopper survived the end of season three ever since the reveal he was still alive. In the past, the writers have usually addressed these details, but I feel like this was a little phoned in. Am I obsessing over small potatoes here? It's interesting because, like, I guess I was so sold on the idea that Hopper just went through a portal uh, and that the Russians probably had some kind of uh, sister lab on the other side that they were trying to connect. Right. That it, I didn't bother to question, but... We do see Hopper laying in the bottom of this chamber. Yeah. If he was going to be blown through the portal, I think it would have happened sooner. Well, yeah, I have. I mean, as far as how he survived, I have three words for you. Blown to safety. Uh, <laughs> and as far as getting out of there, they got in pretty sneakily. We never saw him come in. Uh, they clearly have means. I, I don't know true. what those means this are. Is, this but- is a Russian outfit that can set up shop in an underground lab beneath a major, well, I guess not a major, uh, a very small backwoods towns mall. Sure. Uh, completely underground. I, I don't, man, I don't know. I. It's it's an 80s movie homage. It, You've got to. Is it possible? It. I, here's my best theory. My best theory is that. The Russians did have a chamber that was identical to what was underneath the Starcourt Mall that was over in, you know, Rush, Rush, where, wherever they, they keep their labs in Russia. Mm-hmm. And we're supposed to understand that Hopper was blown through that portal and the rubble was on the other side of the portal that he was kind of, you know, that he was kind of mm. thrown into on the Russian side. That's the only because you're right. I don't see any Russians making it out of that facility. That's not through some kind of official prisoner exchange. <laughs> right. They're in the middle, like crossroads of America is what they call Indianapolis. They're in the middle of the fucking United States. How Look, are they going to get out of there? I just watched a movie. We just watched a movie the other week where North Korea occupied a large <laughs> portion of America. It's true. Uh, so it can be done. It can be done. <laughs> Red Dawn, motherfucker, mm-hmm. as they say. Uh, so I don't know. I, I th- yeah, may- maybe maybe that head can can help you out, Brad. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, Tim, I think I found a subtle Easter egg in season four, episode four, Dear Billy. Shortly after Hopper talks about the movie The Great Escape Within, so the show returns to the group being detained in a house in California. At the 1422 mark, it quickly, quickly cuts to Will bouncing a ball off the wall, similar to Steve McQueen, the cooler king. Yeah. I mean, that's 100% an homage, right? Mm-hmm. Gotta uh, be. Uh, I, I, I doubt Will knows it, though, because he probably hasn't seen the movie. No. Um, that's your That's your dad's favorite movie. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate that. Bradley, I cannot believe I'm about to express the following sentiments. I hope that with hindsight, I will regret saying it. I've always had faith post-season one that the Duffer brothers would always be able to stick the landing. This could have been Kerry Strug at the 92 Olympics. Instead, it felt like we got Eddie the Eagle just splatted 
In the middle of episode 406, I realized what? I just don't care about this arc. The lather, rinse, repeat of adding a new demon each season just doesn't work for me. Please, 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 Duffers, make me feel stupid for doubting you in July. Well, you got to get through episode 406 and 407 before you can get to July, man. Uh, what do you think about Bradley's concern here, Jim? I understand it. Um, yeah, yeah it, it does start to feel a little samey. Uh, they typically have ways of mixing it up. You know, I think having people in different locations has helped. Uh, even though I loved being in Hawkins and having all the kids yeah. together, I think it does feel a little different when they're not um, going over to Russia. But maybe not in a feel good a way. Different. Maybe not in a good way. This much separation. Yeah, but I I think like, it, we, if we didn't have it, we would be feeling more like oh this again. Um, that's the thing. Maybe. It's it's like uh, you know six dozen uh, six of six of a dozen half of another as they say. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, I think I, this is the this, this is the first season, and and you might be you are right about the same stuff, but it's the first season where the kids, the adults, everyone has started split and have remained split throughout the entire season. You've had three distinct yeah. groups, sometimes four, and I don't know. It, it, yeah, there is a little bit of the samey, but there's also something about the chemistry of all these people together that just kind of works, you mm-hmm. know. Like a big part of the show is Hopper and L. A big part of the show is Hopper and Joyce. A big part of the show is. You know, Mike and Dustin and Lucas and Will. Um, it's the whole big part of it's like Steve and being the baby babysitter. Um, uh, the 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 kids and their romantic entanglements and the fact that the major the big players of that has been separated. I think has hurt the chemistry of the show a bit. Now I'm not like I said. I, I was critical of the show at certain points. I think. Um, Fortunately, Bradley, episode seven was a fucking banger and mm-hmm. it really has me hyped up for the second season. So, like, I think there's a little bit of a lull there in the middle. But I, I and, and that's the other thing is it gets harder and harder because now you're not just talking about nailing individual seasons. You're talking about an expectation for them to have something awesome to say about what's going on with Hawkins and the ultimate state of the villain and the relationship with the mind flayer. It's like, it's, it's no longer just sufficient to wrap up in. We're now looking for a big bow statement that makes the entire journey worthwhile. And and I, I don't know. I think they're up to it, but. And leads you into the lot. next phase of the journey in season five. Right. So, yeah. And that's what I'm saying. And season five is where we're even putting yeah. more expectations on. So this used to be a funny, this used to be kind of, um, you know, a fun little romp with a bunch of little kids uh, with a whole bunch of 80s nostalgia and it's turning into late stage Harry Potter. So so, so uh, what I'm hearing is they should have stopped at one. That's <laughs> what I'm hearing. <laughs> I mean, there is an argument to be had that this is an all time classic. That's never like the Netflix never eclipses if they had started because like that first season is damn near perfect. Oh, yeah. I love that first season. I thought season three is pretty perfect. Season two's except for yeah, I, like the eight stuff. I think the people, the, the new mutant stuff uh-huh. turned off some people, but yeah, I don't me, know. me for sure. But it was one episode out of the bunch um, and you can kind of take it or leave it. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I like all of them. I love season one, but mm-hmm. yeah, I hope they stick the landing too. And this isn't exactly Carrie. You know, it's not time for Carrie's drug yet. You know, that's that's it in the season five when you need someone to land on a broken ankle and still mm-hmm. still get that uh, uh, Corolla Barula. What the fuck was that guy's name? Uh, what? The, 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 what? The, the coach to give you. The yeah, coach? whatever. I, I was trying yeah. to make a drug joke. Fuck it. Let's move on. Bella Caroli. 
Bella Corelli? Carole, Carole, something that was the guy's name. Bella anyway, Lagosi. Yeah. Bella Lago Bella Lagopi. Ah, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Ruth. Hey Ruth. Hey guys. I love the show. Thanks, Ruth. People have already been pointing this out, or probably have already pointed this out, but at the very beginning of the first episode of season four, it says September eighth, nineteen seventy nine. The massacre we see in the beginning of the first episode of season one says November sixth, nineteen eighty three. I was laboring the under the fuck? the deluded uh, uh, the delusion that L escaped into Hawkins the night of the massacre involving one, and apparently Apparently there was some years a gap in between that. Hmm. Um, However, my new updated theory is that the portal was opened when she blew one through that whole wall. Yeah. Um, but they and and they were that, and that's how the demogorgon got into the things and but they they were that was part of their official study from that point forward you know it's like yeah. something that kind of fell happenstance in the papa's lap um but anyway as as she surmises here the 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 massacre of the vecna uh 001 happens about four years before the massacre where the demogorgons get loose and 11 escapes the lab she has to have completely blocked those memories out and Brenner must have been just working only or mostly with her during that time although it's interesting that she probably did use the pipe that uh, one showed her in her escape almost certainly she yeah. has to the way they I described so. it so mm-hmm. like what kind of selective memory block is that and what exactly <laughs> did it do in those three and a half years right yeah um, also some people had a question uh, this came up a lot uh, why did L? Because L seemed like she spoke perfect English in the flashback sequences in '79 when she was what six or seven. Hmm. Um, but she's developed uh, severe vocal, you know, problems talking by the time uh, season one rolls around. Uh, Ruth says, "I figured if she spent four years with little to no one to talk to other than adults running tests on her developmentally, her speech could have become very stunted. Also, sometimes people go through periods of complete or partial mutism." as an involuntary response to trauma. So that also might be part of her speech difficulties. Just interesting food for thought. Thanks for the show. Hmm. Uh, No, that's makes a hell of a lot of sense. I didn't even notice that she was talking better in her younger days. Um, I I feel like the show needs to have an answer for that. That's pretty big. I think she's got, I think the answer is right there. It might be something, it might be interesting for them to three part Martin it and just like underline it for people to be like, and this is why you don't talk good anymore. But mm-hmm. yeah, I've I, always been fuzzy. I've always been fuzzy about when they took L from her mother. Yeah. Because yeah. she remembers her mother busting in and like nice dress clothes. Uh, I think previously they'd hinted that she'd get been, you know, given up at the hospital, but it doesn't seem to be true. Um, I wonder if we'll get more answers on that or maybe I need to just watch season two. Did you did you do a full series rewatch? No. OK, maybe I need to do a full series rewatch or at least uh, season two. Michael says, hello, my nerdy brethren. After finishing season four B, whoops, must be four A. My Netflix automatically suggested season one, episode one, which, hey, I immediately obliged. Ten minutes into the very first episode, Joyce is in Hopper's office reporting Will is missing, and Hopper asks about Will's dad. Joyce starts flying off the handle saying that Will is special and that his father always thought he was a queer, actually using the F word. And well, at the latest episode, it seems like the show is strongly hinting at the fact that Will does have feelings for Mike. Could this be something that the Duffers have laid groundwork for from the jump? Interested in your take. 
it it's interesting. Seems like it. Because I know I there's I've I've heard it both ways that you know you can tell little boys and little girls are going to have like different predilections fairly young. I've also heard it that like you know that the the, the children themselves get advanced in their teens and even adults before they figure that stuff out. I have a, a gay cousin who's a few years older than me, and by all accounts, the family knew that he was going to be quote unquote different uh, from the time he's like five or six. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, like, you know, we <laughs> I did grow up in rural Indiana, so that wasn't exactly great for him. Uh, so just because of, you I, I wonder if there's a little bit of confirmation bias there, though, like how many other kids did they think? Oh, they're a little different. And oh, they that's grow up true. To be straight, right. Like that's true. Yeah. Like it's something um, that's a good that's 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 a good point. Um, and that's like this just because a parent might be open to the idea they're gay doesn't mean they'd be accepting of the idea, you know, it's like, sure. oh, Will might be, uh, what's her, you know, uh, yeah. So it seems like that might be what happened. And I definitely people are talking about it because I did a little bit of reading and this is one of the things that a lot of people are talking about, like, what are they doing here with the Will and the mic and, and, yeah. uh, Will's conflicted feelings about it. It seems like they're, this is somewhat intentional. Got a, I got a situation of will they, won't they? <laughs> well, I don't I don't think Mike is. Well, I mean, I don't know. Who knows? He might be bisexual, but like he's certainly I don't think just purely gay, uh, given his attraction to L. Sure. But, uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, Deb, I came across some information I find interesting about the Dungeons and Dragons version of the Vecna that may offer some insight into the monster. I think this goes in explaining how and why he selects his victims. He searches the world for secrets and then uses them against them. She's included a link to the D&D wiki for Vecna's. Uh, and she quotes some relevant passages here. According to some, the Vecna has an obsession with acquiring and maintaining secrets, believing him to be them to be the source of their true power. He's precise and calculating in his actions, but at times was prone to bouts of intense rage. Vecna believed that every being in existence held a single secret that could be manipulated to bring about its destruction. Uncovering that secret and exploiting its truth were the key to gaining dominion over others. Including in his titles as Master of the Spider Throne, so that explained the uh, spider fixation. In the link, there's also talk of Vecna missing his left eye and left hand. Could this be a hint at how Eleven will take him out? During a battle, she could end up removing his left hand or eye. I'm surprised they didn't do anything since he got melted and blown through that they didn't do something with the fact that he's kind of a cyclops with one arm. I think his left arm is the one with the tattoo on it, too. I don't know if that's significant, but Hmm. maybe. Hmm. Interesting. Um, It's also like, I don't know, like if we're going to this uh, Will is gay um, hypothesis, that is a uh, and and, uh, that might be as that might be the secret that they're using to um, or, or is that maybe why the mind flayer picked on Will so much? Because he had something that uh, a secret. Yeah, a, a difference, a secret he was afraid to tell his friends and family. Could be because uh, clearly that's 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 true of all the other his victims, that they had some deep, dark thing that they felt guilty and shameful about. So I think these are yeah, good catches. I like this in the context of friends don't lie. You know, it's, it's right. significant to this group in particular. Larry has some thoughts on Victor Creel. Uh, you mentioned Victor and how he reminded you guys of Michael Myers, but for me, I think this Vecna character is a direct con- has a direct connection to Freddy Krueger. 
Watching the first two episodes, mm-hmm. I was telling my kids that this was a direct shout out to Freddy. And then we meet Victor Creel and bam, he's played by Freddy Krueger himself. Even the very first kill of Stranger Things this season was a callback to the first kill in the first Nightmare on Elm Street. When the girl and the guy were alone, something starts invading their brains and she's dragged up to the ceiling and killed. Just like in Stranger Things, the guy that witnessed it was blamed for the murder. Are you a big... I'm not. See, I've not seen any, literally any Nightmare on Elm Street. I've only really? seen like one or two Friday the 13th. Yeah, I never watched them as a kid. And mm. as I've... I like... I don't, I, don't, I don't know why I haven't seen any. Um, this is probably the best place to tell this story, but I, I was scarred by Friday the 13th. Uh, or Hello. Sorry, not Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, because I have cousins who are a little bit older than me, like four or five years older than me. Sure. Um, and I was probably like 11 or something. I was younger. I was younger. I was probably like uh, somewhere between like six and eight, maybe. Um, and we went over to our cousin's house and we were playing down in their basement and my cousin, uh, the the oldest of them, is like a big fan of horror stuff. Um, and mm-hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street was very popular at that time. Um, and so we're downstairs playing and all of a sudden the lights go out and we hear this cackling coming from the laundry room. Like the, the basement is like a big open area and you have two like saloon doors on either end. And yeah. in in behind that area, the saloon doors leads to a laundry space. And we hear this cackling from the laundry space. It's pitch black in the, in the thing. And then we're, we're all like frozen. Like, what the fuck is that? What the hell, man? And then he flips the lights back on and comes running out in a Freddy Krueger costume. <laughs> <laughs> and just scares the shit out of us as kids. We all went oh, running man. upstairs. We were terrified. The uh, tender so- age to be watching that stuff. And then they'd be pranked out hard. Right. I, and I hadn't even seen it at the time, so I didn't know what it was. But then later on, I saw Nightmare on Elm Street. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's what he was doing. Uh, I've seen definitely the first two, which is the one with Kevin Bacon. That is number two, right? Kevin Bacon is not in a Nightmare on Elm Street. Get the I'm, fuck out I'm of here. I'm almost certain Kevin Bacon is in a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Mm, um, he's a vegetarian. I think it's number two. Bacon. But, but I specifically remember the the person being sucked into their bed that's terrifying um i have a little bit of a memory of it but it's been a long damn time since i've seen these movies you say it's terrifying but 45 all i want all i fantasize about is for my bed to suck me in and take me forever (laughs) well one day hopefully you'll get your wish it's true sleep forever um so just wondering about our thoughts on the uh, Freddy Krueger comparison. No, I mean, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm, honestly, totally. you, I think he said he sent this at the four episode mark. By the time, you, yeah, you get to the end of the series, it's pretty explicit. And we we had some, uh, who was it? Who was saying that uh, it was like Freddy's red boiler room? Was that something? I think that I might have read that on our Discord, that there's like some analysis. Or maybe that was from the episode itself. They, I think it was a pretty explicit connection there. Uh-huh. Let's move on to Christopher. I listened to the season three recap recap to refresh my memory for this season. Y'all spent a lot of time theorizing how they needed to get to the next season out quickly, as there was even some speculation they were going to try to get it all done within the next year. Boy, did that not go to plan. But it was fun listening back to those theories and realizing that we are here getting it finally three years later. I stand by that prediction. I do think if there wasn't a global pandemic and all this other crap that they would have because I do think this story has suffered a little bit having these 20 year olds running around as supposedly freshmen. Like if they had, 
if they had been able to film all these a lot sooner, they it would have looked better. They would have, you know, the, I think the kids' young youth and vulnerability has always been a key component of the show, and they're just all. I mean, not only are they not kids anymore, but they're also like not the kind of like like the the guy that plays Steve Harrington is doing a good job of playing a nineteen or twenty year old. Uh, the guy is doing Jonathan, not so much. I think these kids are on the Jonathan side. They look like they're too old to be in high school, let alone be freshmen. So it's a bummer. Yeah, but what are you going like to do? It. Do you are, are they? Did they film season five and season four together? I don't know. Um, because uh, that's the other thing I worry about is like what's going to happen in two more years. All right. Well, according to Esquire from an article that just came out today, this is Wednesday, the what, 8th, um, the Duffer brothers um, have not began filming season five. And it could be years before uh, we we get we get to the end of it. So, yeah, that's all a right. bummer. Stranger Things, the college years, have them all go to a beach. That's a, the, I don't know why they don't do that. That actually would be kind of cool. <laughs> like if they get to some kind of epic stopping point here, just like have the upside down chill for a couple of years before they regroup for final assault and the kids a little bit older, they could do like almost like an, an uh, Stephen King's it thing where the kids are in college, but they have to be pulled back in high school because I don't know. Lucas sister Erica is now the hip deep in it. They could do something like that. Um, Corey, there's so many parallels to Stephen King's It in season four of Stranger Things. Two that I can't shake it are from It chapter two. Losers reading posthumous letters from Richie after he dies. Eddie getting killed by the spider monster. That doesn't bode well for Max and Eddie, in my opinion. Also, Eddie and Richie equals Mike and Will. Unfortunately, unfortunately, Corey, I have only seen the It movies once each. And I'm not a huge Stephen King fan, although I do like that movie. And I don't really understand what's being gotten at here. Jim, can you, I know your wife's a huge Stephen King fan and you have seen the movies. Uh, yeah, I've never seen the original actually. I've only seen the remakes. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm like you, I saw them once and quickly forgot most of it. I'm sure there's lots of people listening to the podcast, nodding along, getting what you're putting down. Uh, I'm just not one of them. Sorry. I'm sorry. Adam H. What a fantastic season of films. I mean, television. Seriously, despite such epically long run times, I barely ever felt the pacing issues that many people did, including yourselves. First off, how they even managed to make what amounts to nine feature films with incredibly high production values during COVID and what amounts to a year of shooting. Seems like a Herculean effort. I sure hope we don't hear about any horrific working conditions in the months to follow. Yeah, that'd be a bummer. Fortunately, no one got hurt. Yeah. So there's uh, or sick. That's that's always a plus. Anyway. Regarding episode four, Dear Billy, I found it was a highlight for me this season. I was surprised to hear you talk negatively about it, but I think it was mainly the ending doing the heavy lifting. Sadie Sink crushed it. Of course, this is Max. And the final scene was the great metaphor, a great metaphor for escaping the demons of suicidal thoughts and running to your friends for help. I've already seen many comments on forums and message boards from young people about how that scene helped them escape from their own demons and talk to their friends. I even thought Max dying might be the best thing for a story in the moment. But after hearing all that, I think it's a smart choice to have her survive. On the flip side, I was really surprised to hear you guys enjoyed the Susie House of misplaced comedy horrors. Where did that crazy ass family come from? The upside down had me cringing the whole time. And sometimes a weird tonal whiplash it gives is one of the my issues. The last few seasons of the show, 
Even though I came to love the never-ending story duet from last season, I do think the Duffers have sometimes veered off too far into slapstick territory. I mean, that's just different strokes for different stro- uh, folks because I don't know. I guess I'm I'm pretty. Uh, I've got a lot of I've got a lot of experience with large religious families and how they can be kind of weird. And I felt like I got a big kick out of Susie's house because of that. Yeah, I I just love the Lord of the Flies chaos that was going on. I I don't I don't mind the total whiplash. You know, um, yeah. I think that could work sometimes for me. I want. I want. I like my horror mixed with my comedy. Yeah, I mean, there this this show among many the things it has in its DNA has got Goonies and and like ET, where you do have a little bit of that slapstick, lighthearted stuff that's that's you know thrown into the skeletons and the dusty traps and and the government agents trying to kill kids. So, um, a few other thoughts I'd noticed. When Eleven pushes one through the gate, you see a bunch of tentacles that seem to suggest that the Mind Flayer, or perhaps something bigger and badder, is already in control of the Upside Down, and that maybe it used one's mind to create what we know as the Upside Down Hawkins. Um, that's that's a yeah, that's a possible theory. Um, I interpret it as just that's what the Upside Down looks like. I don't know why. Um, I think that the upside down is a dimension that was there before and maybe the one guy colonized it and learned how to use its denizens or create some of his own. Yeah, I mean, we just don't have enough information, right? We see him falling into the red sky and and of the upside down, but we don't really see any of the traditional upside down trademarks. So did he get there to this other dimension and then create it? Or did he get there and just sort of start taking over what was already there? I don't know. Do you think that we'll ever get any kind of satisfying upside down cosmology? You know, like this is how it was created and this was the, the this is its factual basis and this is how the Hawkins lab. Do you think we'll get some concrete answers like that? I mean, now's our opportunity to do that, right? If we're going to it seems like this is as good a time as any. So sure. And I'm interested in seeing it. Um, our producer did some background research and said that Kevin Bacon might have been considered as a, uh, Eglund, uh, or England replacement, but doesn't look like he was actually in any of the movies. So Jim, uh, okay. all right, let me throw why are you telling pork pies on the podcast. It's because someone very, it's someone very famous has, <laughs> it was actually in one of those very early movies in a very early role of theirs. Jason Bateman. Can I throw that out there? I don't know. I'm trying no to think of who would way. be Jason Bateman's like three years old, right? No, right? Jason Bateman's a lot older than you think. He's like 50 Is something. He? Oh, God, he's older than me. I thought he was a little younger. Oh, he's got to be older than you. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Uh, another point on that tip, Mind Flayer in his smoke form is generated or sorry, is portrayed as a giant sky spider. The Mind Flayer is indeed more powerful than the one. I can see how one might come to almost worship him like he does the spiders of his attic at uh, in the Creel home. I also see how the mind flayer would see the benefit of having a five-star general like one charge, changing him into the Vecna and using his power to open gates. The ability to mind flayer doesn't seem to have, but the one and 11 do. Ooh, interesting. See, I, I, I guess I took it as like that. That was dusty getting it wrong. That was dusty buns getting it wrong. That, uh, the Vecna was actually in charge of the upside down and the mind flayer was something that he had harnessed to do his bidding. But 
I guess there's no reason why to think that rather than to think that, like you said, that uh, the Mind Flayer took opportunistic advantage of the Vecna and the Vecna has a uh, um, as like a amoral apex predator that just sucks the life out of things. He has the same admiration that he does for spiders. I don't know. That's that makes a lot of sense. I found it. I found it. Sorry, I'm distracted this whole time. Trying Did to you find the, the sec- six degrees the, se- the 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 Kevin Bacon between uh, him and Freddy Krueger? I guarantee there are six degrees somewhere in here, but you might recognize this name. He's in the news right now. Johnny Depp got his start. Yeah. Very first movie, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Kevin Bacon lookalike Johnny Depp gets uh-huh. a start and did is that no okay. Jason so he was in the Bateman first one hangout uh yeah apparently he's in the first one wow 21 jump nightmare on Elm Street uh is he in 21 jump street I don't even know <laughs> I never saw that I, th- I, th- I thought that was how he really got a start but but yeah uh Final note, is it possible that Brenner took one's DNA or, or whatever and used that to actually birth the other kids? Is one eleven? I don't think that's possible. No, right? And they would all be more clone-like if that were the case, right? They would also be a lot younger. Well, no, I mean, you could use the kids' DNA to, uh, you know, the insert into several different eggs and you got all kinds of different combinations there, but... Uh, I suppose. I was thinking more of a clone process, not to DNA into oh, an egg. I don't even know what that well, would yeah. do. Like... You kind of have to clone. Jim. I don't know if you slept in health class, but you put the DNA in the egg, and uh, that's that's we call yeah, that sperm when it comes, happens naturally. Uh, the, the methods, the methods there probably matter. I don't know. I assume cloning when I hear taking DNA from people, but you could be right. Um, is one Eleven's real father? Are we headed towards a Luke Vader territory where Vecna tries to convince Eleven that they can overthrow the Mind Flayer Emperor together and become rulers as father and daughter? Is this Star Wars? Uh, I guess I didn't get that. Uh, I think the ages don't line up unless he literally harvests his kid's DNA when he's eight. Uh, and then it's, I feel like that's more of a brother sister thing than a father. Yeah. Daughter. Cloning, cloning gets into some weird territory. Cloning that clone. It's been said cloning gets in the weird territory. Mm hmm. Uh, any other thoughts along these lines or should we move on to Eric getting the nod? No, Eric. Just thinking about the two tats that uh, 1 and 11 have, they also work as a valid binary code. 1 equals 1, and 011 equals 3. I don't know if that means anything, but I'm curious if there's a reason for their numbering specifically because of the current order they're in, other than L being the 11th kid showing up for the program. I wonder if Brenner has a 000 tattoo. This binary thing feels like something that could be something. Uh, which would make you raise the question of who is two. Because that's the only why, that's the only reason you'd you'd give an intentional gap in those numbers, right? I mean, but but two would be 010, I guess 10. So like, yeah. Also be that's the other thing is like we've seen the other kids' tattoos and they they're also not like binary so, eh, but I, I, it I might know. it might be a reveal we'll see well I tell you what you will you are eligible Eric to win a shit ton of internet points because this is a wild crazy theory uh, <laughs> if it turns out to be true then 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 you're gonna you're gonna get a lot you're gonna get a lot of a lot of dap make sure you collect it 
We'll have to go back to Susie's house to figure that out, right? She's the only one who would be able to. Yes. Yeah, she's the... I don't know. Dusty Buns? Does he know his way around binary? Yeah, probably. Farrell from the 405, which I believe is Oklahoma City's area code, says, you guys question why Vecta was giving his backstory to Nancy and Eleven. I don't think he was communicating directly with Elle. I think that was her reliving the past and unlocking hidden memories in the Nina machine. So it'll be a discovery for Brenner, too, because he was knocked out during the massacre. Um... So that's I I don't I don't know, because like I think it's a valid way to interpret it as him spilling his guts to the the L and and Nancy. Um, But that the last point is interesting because you're right. Like Brenner, I think, originally blamed Eleven. And this is going to allow him to uh, if she gives him a truthful account of what she saw and all that stuff, they might be able to. uh, have some theories about one and how to stop him. I mean, yeah, Hawkins lab's got to be. be good for something, right? Like the, 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 the 14 year olds of the world can't keep pulling, you know, getting the scoop on them. And so, so they're going to turn Brenner into a true good guy here. Uh, and he's going to work with L <sighs> to stop do that? one. How the fuck do you do that? Brenner's such a shit. <laughs> I mean, they've been treading that line, right? They, they've been walking it for a while. This season? This season, uh-huh. maybe? Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, don't, I don't know. They could, they could turn that corner? I don't know. If he's a, he's a good guy, he's a person that just abuses children on a scale that's, like, breathtaking. I don't. Uh, but I guess sure. that's kind of like loosely Dumbledore's plot <laughs> in Is Harry it? Potter, and people broadly consider him good. Huh. Uh, Lena. I love your coverage and how you broke the season up. Well, thank you. Overall, I thought this season was great. However, on rewatch, I chose to fast through a lot of the L in the lab parts and some of the Russian sections. As always, Steve, Dustin, and Erica were awesome. I really enjoyed the scenes at Susie's house, and I love the addition of Argyle and Eddie. As far as why Nancy is seeing more of Vecna's story than the other kids, there's another Nancy Vecna theory. Uh, my read is because she he knew that she had met with his dad and heard his version of what happened and was studying the newspaper stories going through the house, etc. He says to her, I see you've been looking for me. How is a dumb old blind Victor then says you were so close to the truth before he starts walking Nancy through his past. Could be wrong, but that's what I was getting. That's interesting that he is both setting her straight and like telling his side of the story since he knows that she already has a lot of the pieces. It's, it's a, like a tip of the cap a respect issue. Could be, I mean, I liked some of your theory about, you know, her being somehow at the nexus of this thing. Um, also, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I also think there was, and I think someone made, maybe I, that's because uh, like a lot of people were on similar tracks. Uh, and I think one of them, maybe that I discarded mentioned the fact that like Nancy is just a lot more confident and capable. She doesn't have like many much in the way of regrets, especially like the kind that the Vecna that uh, he, he couldn't deal with her the way he's used to dealing with his victims. So he's like kind of in like equal leveling mode. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, Robin doesn't get, get this info either because they were kind of a team come on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wasn't all nancy um nicole b i said says i think your take on jonathan and nancy lacking chemistry and not working as a couple or that nancy's better paired with, paired with someone else 
is kind of funny in an ironic way. Not sure if you're aware of it or not, but the actors that played Jonathan and Nancy, Charlie Heaton and Natalia Dyer, have reportedly been in a serious relationship since 2016 BCI before the cocaine incident. I wasn't sure if they're still together, but found an article article from last week that confirms it. You see, this is the Joey theory on friends that when people have chemistry on, on screen, it's because they're not fucking. And as soon as this chemistry goes out, they started fucking. They've been, if they've been living together for five years, no fucking what? No, no, no wonder the sparks aren't flying when they're on camera. Huh? Right. It makes perfect sense. Sure. Sure. I could see it. I mean, but, but also I'm not talking about the actors necessarily, right? I'm talking about the characters and these characters I'm just not seeing together. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, if they're doing a good job acting, maybe they're, you know, wildly in love in real life and then it's hot and steamy everywhere except on the screen because they're playing different characters. They use it all up. They're all they're in full time dress <laughs> well, rehearsal, and then they come. They got nothing left when they come. Up or on set. they're just good at acting, and they're playing characters who are falling out of love. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Um, I don't know, but whatever it is, long I'm not distance relationship it. that's inherently kind of a bummer, and it's totally. not for everybody. And even for the people it's with, it's like hard to keep it up for long. So maybe they're playing uh, playing that too. I wish I could go back and listen. I know there's nothing stopping me, but except for my the limitations of time and space. I wish I could go back and see what I thought about their court because I think I was pretty positive about them getting together last season. Mm-hmm. So, like, I wonder if the because it's it's hard to say if they have any chemistry this year because they haven't sh- they haven't shared a single fucking scene, right? right. So, and that was know, back when Steve was still a douche, like de- right. decades ago. You know, right in, in TV time, uh, right. So, yeah, he's he's not looking quite as rosy now that there's a new and improved Steve on the landscape here. Nicole continues. Season one still remains my favorite. There's something so intriguing and suspenseful about a kid's going miss going missing. But the mystery of what happens is twisted by the supernatural, otherworldly places and mysterious government labs. I'm struggling to keep up with how chaotic everything has become an expanding cast of characters. Is Dr. Brenner supposed to be a good guy? I watched him shot collar a child this season, but they also have him working with Paul Reiser, who we thought was a good guy, or maybe he was evil the whole time. Joyce not being able to, or went from not being able to let Will out of her sight as soon as Mike arrives. He, she suddenly leaves the country illegally without telling anyone. She's headed to a Russian prison. Her house is destroyed in a shootout while the kids are still in it, and now Mike, Will, and the potheads are hiding from the government in another state. I still really love the show, but this season is the first time I found myself checking the clock and wanting to skip ahead at times during certain plot points, preferring some storylines and characters over others. Curious to see if the last chapters feel different when they're all back together. If that happens, thanks and bald move for life. Well, thanks, Nicole. Uh, I hope you like it. I hope I like it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, me too. I think you're hitting on something here, though, that the show is doing that is different from past seasons. And it's not just the runtime of the episodes. It's also the gray areas. Um, this show early on had no gray. It was all black and white. Um, and you look at Brenner as like the grayest example, and he still comes across as super evil. And then you get to Paul Reiser, who is like, everything you know about Paul Reiser as an actor tells you this guy should be evil. But every single thing he's doing on screen is good just inherently positive not not quite as like inherently positive as bob who we also had like misgivings about we were looking for stuff but i think the show has trained us like 
we're never going to tell you a character is bad and then make them good or vice versa. Mm -hmm. We're just going to lay it all out immediately as we meet them. Mm -hmm. And this season is kind of different, right? I'm still very much up in the air on Brenner, a guy who early on I thought was just an evil villain. Yeah, and I think it's Owens is the Paul Reiser character. Um, I, yeah, I'm with you because I, I thought that was the he did a apparent heel to actual face turn. And now they're mixing him in with this this very dark gray palette of Brenner. I, I don't know. Uh, but on the other hand, it also could be a very utilitarian like what are we what you know like i don't really want to brutalize children but if the alternative is letting essentially do right. tube happen all over the globe then mm-hmm. maybe you got to brutalize a couple children uh you know people make shitty choices like that all the time uh donald says glad you both had a chance to watch the season with all you got going on us too you both are the same for every season of stranger things LOL. At the end of every episode, you start to lose faith in the Duff. I not every. Come on now, uh, you start to lose episode? faith in the brothers Duff. You'll ask questions that the Duffs answer right away in the next episode. I swear uh-huh. I could listen to episode two, season two podcast, and Aaron would be saying, "I don't know if they can stick the landing, but they always seem to stick it." So I'll continue to keep the faith. It's one of the things uh, I love about the show is the the questions I have are immediately answered, and they've already thought you, about them. Usually, yeah, yeah, yeah. So for Jim, you were wondering what the reasoning the cops and the parents are going to the Wheeler's house. You, they yeah. say that as they get there, that they are looking for the only unaccounted child that they know of, Nancy, hoping she would be home. And when she isn't there, they just stayed there. Uh, huh. So I guess there okay. is there was an explanation for that. Okay. Um, I think the Mind Flayer is still the big bad. We'll make a return by the end of volume two. See you guys in a month. Um, yeah, I don't know how Vecna plays with the mind flare it feels like if the vecna was smaller than the mind flare it's weird that the mind flare took the field first and then brought the vecna who has been there for 50 years mm-hmm. in reserve i don't know but we'll see mrs s in season four episode one when 11 is doing the voiceover for letter to mike she mentioned that joyce says they are like time travelers maybe they will have to go back in the time it's possible. It's one of the things we were speculating about in this season. Especially, well, we were really speculating last year because it was the, you know, they had uh, Back to the Future, to the future. Uh, yeah. prominently in like the, the movie mall court and stuff like that. Uh, they've they've had, yeah, Chekhov's DeLorean has been in the, se- the series since last year, or I mm-hmm. guess season three. That's... Now you got the clocks and people the, like speeding up yes. of time and stuff. In, and in that would be an obvious place to go, right? You're already exploring yeah. dimensions and space. Just add time to that. And it's, those are tricky stories to do, right? But when you pull them off, they're incredibly fun, too. And there you is know? actually a little bit of time travel in this, ep- this final episode, right? They go back to Hawkins, but it's multiple years ago uh, in the Upside Down. In the so Upside Down. There's like, that's yeah. a form of time travel. Um, Red Bingle says if gates appear where people die, isn't there a, or why isn't there a gate in the middle of the street where Fred dies? How the hell has nobody noticed an interdimensional gate just lying in the road? Um, the thing is, is it doesn't have to be right. Like, like there could be a subterranean tunnel. <laughs> it could be a cave or something that the, that that's below the ground because you know, the, the portal didn't appear at the surface of the water. It appeared, what, 30, 40 feet deep in a lake. Um, 
but I, I had the same question, like where, why there, there must be a portal there somewhere on the road or by the road or in a tree, but maybe no one's noticed it, it is Hawkins. There isn't like, it's not a yeah. heavily populated city. There's probably some roads that don't get a lot of travel. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if that's a, uh, see if that's a plot hole, Red Bengal. Two, Victor said that he was led back by an angel that turned out to be music. When the Vecna said the reason he couldn't finish the job is because he passed out. So then how was the music an issue and why did it work for Max if it was really just the Vecna passing out? Boy, this feels like they got another reveal for us because you are 100% mm-hmm. right. And the Vecna also, they established that the Vecna was surprised to see Max and did not want her there. So it could be one of those things where... She wasn't being detained. She was free to go at any time. But until the music played to remind her that her friends are still there and there's people waiting around outside, it never occurred to her, you know? Yeah, could be. Um, but I, that feels like there's something else up their sleeve because you're right. That doesn't that doesn't necessarily add up. It could also be the Victor Creel is a megalomaniac and doesn't want to admit the to to making mistakes so he's he's like oh it wasn't a weakness of mine it wasn't the music it was so i i don't know but but it feels like there's another shooter drop there doesn't it uh if the vecna can move things and lift people off the ground why didn't he just do that to max instead of flinging random pieces of a house at her as she ran away uh well that's what he can do in the real world we don't know Mm -hmm. what he can do in the dream world that's that's what my that my stock answer for that I mean, because Max had to get away there. That's why. <laughs> like, yeah, in a dream world, you're pretty much at the mercy of the person who controls the dream world. But yeah, in a TV show, you got to have them get away. Finally, why is the upside down stuck on the date that Will disappeared? It wasn't the day it was created and it wasn't the first person to enter it. He wasn't the first person to enter it. Vecna was. That's another thing that is unexplained. And I feel like they owe us an explanation for. Because, yeah. Um, if that and apparently but, it's not even the, the the day that L opened the portal, right? So like, yes. Well, uh, that was four years before, or whatever. So yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot we don't know. Um, I feel like there's also you got to keep in mind there's a difference between his red realm and the upside down. They look very different. So I wonder if they're going to have something of like the upside down was created during Will's disappearance, but Vecna's red realm was like a a subset or a superset of the upside down. Mm-hmm. And yeah, know. we just we don't, don't have answers. Like, I don't know right. if Vecna even made this realm or That's what I'm saying. If, like, are we if he was just gonna sent f- to it by L? Like, who knows? Right. Are they going to fill out the cosmology of this? You know, are we going to figure out the physics behind this? They've, they've been pretty keeping their cards close to their vest about that stuff so far. The Milwaukee Chad says, I've been thinking since episode five or six of this season that portals or gates would have to be used to bring all the key players to Russia, Nevada and Hawkins back together. Much like you theorized in your last episode, they'll probably all go in the upside down and then come back at the same place. Probably Hawkins. Yeah, it's gotta be Hawkins. It's gotta be. However, I think this can be more affirmed when you look at the season four poster, where you have all the various groups heading back towards the center of the poster, which is, of course, a gate. He links to the image of the Stranger Things uh, uh, poster that has like the four various groups all on different surfaces. Like, you know, there's they're on the ceiling, the walls, the hallway, and they're all walking towards the gate. Um, or maybe all of season five takes place in the upside down. Your thoughts? 
He says, P.S. I also noticed Enzo mm. missing from the poster. Maybe not a good sign. Argyle <laughs> is on the poster. Hmm. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if Enzo doesn't make it out, right? Sure. Sure. I don't think I need him to make it out. Um, and it definitely wouldn't surprise me if they're using portals to get back together. But I don't know. The season kind of didn't really make a meal of getting to Russia and, and inside this camp and all that stuff so like they could also just shortcut their way out of it and yeah. you know next episode hopper's on a flight with joyce and they're off off to america back to hawkins and mm-hmm. you know the 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 buyers uh and, and brothers and all that stuff decide hey we need to go back to hawkins too i don't know we'll see Ashley says, I listened to your season three wrap up again. Your biggest prediction was that eight was going to be figure prominently in season four. Do you think that'll still happen in the second part? I mean, if you listen to all of our coverage this season, I was kind of expecting her to show up. Uh, It seems when you're heading into the final chapter of something and you have established a super powered sister of 11 that is still very much out there in the wild that you would team those people back up together uh so okay. yeah i'm i'm expecting what do you what's your what's your temperature on eight uh, i don't need her to come back i really don't need it if she does come back it. you don't like her you don't like it's, that you, you... It, no i i hated that episode um but it was because Elle was off with all these other characters that i didn't even know or care about and, and they're all off putting weirdos yeah, they were weirdos. That's fine. A lot of these kids are weirdos too, but true. that's the thing. I, I don't hate that character. I hated that episode. Um, if they could bring that character back into the group that we're familiar with and like, and I think I'd be a lot more okay with it, but I have no burning desire to see it. It's not like, oh, if they don't bring L back or eight back, we riot or anything. No, mm-hmm. I don't give a shit, <laughs> but they could probably do it in a pretty a, a way that would satisfy me too. So whatever. Ashley uh, questions, how did Joyce obtain that much cash so quickly? They mentioned that, that she was raiding the children's trust fund um, and, and like college fund. So like I, the, the, the only question I have in that is if that's truly a trust, I don't mm-hmm. see how Joyce does that. Um, right. I thought, the, the, of course, I guess you can set up trust all kinds of different ways. But the whole point of a trust is to keep, you know, the kid from spending it before they're 18. And I think to keep the parents from uh, doing like, you know, selfishly spending it on themselves. So but it's they, they, they apparently there was a large sum of money that was there for Jonathan and Will's college and for their future. And she's just using that now to pay for <laughs> Hopper's freedom. But uh, yeah, that was the in-universe explanation. Uh, she says, I also saw this theory online, but a counselor, the counselor. Of uh, the kids that were stricken by the Vecna always wears a necklace with a clock and key pendant, like a key with a clock in the middle. And she has a small mm. grandfather or cuckoo clock at her house. Several victims were confirmed to be seeing her. Do you think she's helping Vecna or perhaps been invaded by him? Yeah. She's this is juicy. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone also pointed out that she kept her keys in a fishbowl and they said that that was implying that she's some sort of swinger. <laughs> so <laughs> okay, she's sure. a stranger she's swinger working for Vecna mm-hmm. uh, sexy sexy Vecna parties in the upside down hey yo Vecna gets invited to those parties Vecna is uh, yeah he's a power bottom 
<laughs> and he <laughs> fucking know. I don't fucking know. Why do you ask me these things? Um, Why not? Yeah, no, there's something interesting. And also, like, they, they've referred to uh, L being the key to a gate, too. So they're, you know, this is some Ghostbuster symbology I think they're using. They, I want to know who Gozer is, who's the gatekeeper. Uh, but but seriously, no, I think you're on to something. That's, and I completely missed all that. I almost want to go and, and fast forward through to the therapist sessions to see if there's anything there, there. But that's it's a pretty good catch. Pretty good yeah. catch. There's a couple people on a similar wavelength as you, but you were the first one to get it in, Ashley. Um, also, would grades be digital in that time period? Is And there's any significance to Dustin taking Latin and everyone else taking Spanish? Um, I think... <sighs> that that's on the ragged edge of what I would believe. I mean, but in, in a database that's connected to a network that she would have access to, that's the suspect thing to me is like dial up mode. It'd be a dial up modem, but Oh, totally. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, I, I did. The technology was there. Uh, they could have had it. Yeah. Did they? I don't know. And this and and and, and would Hawkins, one of these rural Indiana schools, have that? That's the kid, thing. Prob- probably like, not. But they would. They absolutely would not have had a mall either. So they name check war games, but he's dialing into fucking NORAD, right? He's not dialing in right. to, to a backwoods high school. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's super suspect, but so is the code that they displayed on the screen. HTML wasn't invented at the time. Uh, Dustin taking Latin versus Spanish. I, I, I mean, to me, that seems like du- that's just that seems very Dustin. Like the other kids are taking t- kids are taking a practical language that's going to be spoken in our country, uh, increasingly in the next generation. And then, you know, Dustin's taking a a, a dead language, right? Sure. So I, guess so I don't know if there's any significance to that. Oh, oh does that mean Dustin's going to be the one die. that dies? Yeah. Dustin yeah. dead language confirmed. Your Latin won't save you here. Your Spanish might have though. Memento Mori. <laughs> uh, in episode three, Joyce is told to buckle up on the plane and she says like, this will help me if we crash later. She walks away from the plane crash, basically uninjured. Lots of casual comments like that seem to come true this season. In episode two, Robin says to Steve that all their problems would be solved, that they could just combine any thoughts on that. Is there going to be body swapping? The upside down mm-hmm. and the regular world blending together. Holy shit. Robin and Steve blended together would be a perfect being. It'd be like 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 Lilu in the fifth element. It would <laughs> it'd be the perfect balance and harmony of all of the the energies and genders and sexualities, everything in balance. It'd be like the yeah. Thanos snap in a single individual. <laughs> no, I don't know. What what do you, do you what do you make of that, Jim? Uh, there could be. I mean, that's certainly like a, a motif of some of those 80s movies, right? I'm thinking like, yep. uh, was Parent Freaky Trap 80s? Friday. That was before. No, was before. Yeah, Parent, Parent Trap has that's nothing old. to do with. Well, is it? Yeah, I guess they do switch parents, don't they? I was thinking more Freaky Friday, but. Yeah, Freaky Friday is the one. Prelude to a Kiss. When did Prelude to a Kiss come out? That's 90s, right? Uh, I just saw this happen kiss. in Star Trek Strange, Strange New Worlds, too. 92 at the end. Okay, let's move on to Dylan. This is just a funny mess up on the writer's end that you may not have heard about, but in season two, it's revealed that Will's birthday is on March 22nd. In the roller skating scene, one of the film cameras shows the date is March 22nd. That means the roller rink scene where Elle and Mike are completely ignoring Will took place on Will's birthday. 
That the Duffer sad. brothers have since admitted that they forgot Will's birthday. Wah, wah. And happened to pick the exact same day. Dude, that's the crazy thing, right? right? Out of all the 365 days, you happen <laughs> to pick one. Yeah. Huh. They say they plan on redubbing over season two. Uh, the season two scene where Joyce says Will's birthday is March 22nd to change it to May 22nd. Since what? it should sync that up well. What? This revisionist history shit? I liked just leaving it and letting us think that that happened that on Will's birthday. They're just completely shitting on Will. Yeah. yeah they, they both totally. came out there to visit him and yeah. And just A, forgot it was his birthday at all and B, never mentioned it. Uh, Dylan gives uh, give this find to TikToker Madison Sunflower three as that uh, she was the one who noticed it. So thanks thanks for giving the credit there, Dylan. Um, it's funny. I don't think it has anything to do with the story, but it is pretty funny. Matthew E has a theory called Chekhov's Ganja. Since season four, uh, Stranger Things four, as as Aaron put it, played with their cards face up. I was starting to wonder what else that applies to. What better way to save Vectus humanity than to have Argyle do his thing and give the fallen angel a ride on the Pineapple Express out of his imprisonment in the Upside Down? Will the real smoke monster be the downfall of the Mind Flayer? <laughs> oh God. Argyle smoking up Vecna. Yeah. Uh-huh. That sounds like something Stranger Things would do. Um, uh, thanks for that, Matt. Hannah from the UK, 99% of the time you're on the money, but I feel like you completely missed the mark when it came to your commentary in episode four, Dear Billy. It's an incredible experience, uh, an episode. Sadie Singh's performance had me in tears and was truly Emmy worthy. Her battle with Vecna mirrored the struggles many people have with depression, and as she bravely ran back towards her life, I was in tears with my heart leaping out of my chest. Do you think perhaps the way you have to binge watch and comment in such a short space of time sometimes affects your emotional relationship with what's being portrayed? Well, Hannah, it ain't ideal. Uh, <laughs> you know, watching something and then in most cases within five or 10 minutes of watching, we're sitting down talking about it. And then within five or 10 minutes of that, we're back into binge. It definitely has its weaknesses. It's got its strengths too, but I think you yeah. might be right. Um, but also to be fair, like I don't, I, I don't know that that material would have resonated with me even if I had had you know watched it in the middle of the binge. Um, I'm glad it resonated with you, and as uh, emailer mentioned uh, at the top of the show, so many other people. But I don't know if I can blame everything on that. What What do you think, Jim? Um, my feeling on this is I. I'm not sure what it is, uh, but this year I was feeling pretty good about the binge model. Um, yeah. I I found myself really enjoying the episodes more because of the binge. Like, hmm. but but it might have been, I don't know. It, I don't know. It was a nice break from the work day, I will say. Like, a lot of the time, like today, we spent, you know, hours and hours streaming before we even got onto this podcast. So we're in right. to our like fifth or sixth hour of this. Yeah. Um, and that takes it out of you when you're trying mm-hmm. to put on a, a show for multiple hours straight. But having like an episode to break it up where you can just sit back, relax, enjoy the thing. Granted, you're taking notes and stuff and you're probably missing a lot of stuff because you only get to watch it once. Right. And you don't have any time to think about it afterward. I I just felt like that was a nice relief during those days. Um, so I don't think the binge model really affected me negatively on that side uh, for that episode. But I remember thinking the pacing of that episode was not great. I liked mm. the end uh, with, you know, all the Mac stuff, but it was the pacing that got to me. Just like 
they, they were spending too much time getting to the places that I knew they were kind of already going. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, for some reason that one episode got to me and I will say it, that wasn't even a binge watch for me. That was, I think I watched that episode the night before because, you know, each day we'd have uh, our podcast and then we'd have an opportunity to watch the episode before we podcasted the next day. I think that was a, a night watch for me. So maybe it had something to do with like, uh, I've worked all day and now I'm watching this episode that is taking its sweet time. Um, and it's just like, I'm looking at my watch going, when can I get on to something else here? So it might've been the opposite. It might've been the, like, I wasn't able to binge watch that one. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause that was one of the ones I did get to watch twice. Um, cause I watched it, uh. um, as soon as I got done with this pod and then I watched it also the net, you know, when we we're on Monday, I, I watched it. And so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, there there are strengths and weaknesses to um, the rapid deployment. I think the biggest strength is we get it out fairly quickly, you know, and and fairly comprehensively. Yeah. But uh, the weaknesses is yeah, sometimes you. I, I did. I, I'm with you. I felt like the days they felt like cheat days. Uh-huh. You know, like ooh, we like like sometimes we decide to blow off work and go play disc golf or something together. Like I felt like one of those type of days more than it felt like oh Jesus Christ, this is a grueling seven hour, eight hour Stranger Things day. Yeah. Audrey H. Isn't it super illegal to question minors without their legal guardian? I was pulling my hair out with this when they did it to Elle in California. I thought maybe her bully was enough of a queen bee and her family was super important that the cops felt pressured to take immediate action. But they did it again in Hawkins. Parents were in the house, but not with Max when she was interrogated. Also, they picked the one kid who specifically did not have their legal guardian present. Taking little girls talking uh, to little girls alone in that situation creeped me out more than almost anything else in the season. I don't know the legality. I also, mm-hmm. you know, have seen a lot that imply that, that that has led me to believe that necessarily they're not necessarily cops really care about the legality of their actions a hundred percent all the time, especially if there's lives on the line. Um, right. I feel like it, the cops will afford you the rights that you are aware you have. Yeah. And, and whether like, you know, if they question a minor without their parents present and if that's not Kate, but like in the case of like assault or a murder or something, I don't know if they care if they think, but like the, the, the other thing is, um, I know what happens, man. I can think of like three different occasions where people I knew in high school were questioned without their parents being there. Now their parents might've waived their right to counsel. Uh, I know. I imagine a lot of parents would, especially back in the eighties. Like, if the cops want to talk to you, then fucking talk to them, and don't you fucking lie and all. So, like, mm-hmm. but the idea of like getting their lawyer, like, that's something that guilty people do, right? Like, sure. You know, growing up where Exercise I grew up, rights, yeah, yeah, like, like that's like it was very suspicious behavior to not cooperate with the police. I think that we're probably a lot of us more sophisticated in how we view those interactions nowadays, but. I don't know. It didn't raise my eyebrows, but probably it should have. Um, Daniel uh, or Daniel S. Rather, I want to share a thought about the one and Vecna's origin story and how it fits with the rest of the Stranger Things universe. Originally, it seems we were told that Elle's powers are the result of psychotropic experimentation on her mother, a la MK Ultra. But so far in season four, it looks like the one was a natural born mutant with telepathic powers like Elle and other Brenner type kids. This random occurrence seems dissatisfying when we already have a good explanation for the birth of superpowered children. I'm wondering if we won't see further into the one's trauma 
in the second half of the season that will explain his origin story in a similar way to L's. We know that one looked into his parents' memories and saw the horrible things they apparently did, but were only directly told about his father's accidentally shelling of uh, civilians. We also know that one's parents arranged for him to see a doctor before he murdered his family and that the doctor who uh, eventually treats one is Brenner. I think we might have learned that the dark secret of one's mother was something akin to experimenting with psychotropic substances while pregnant, and that Brenner was a doctor working to study into mother-child pairs who had been exposed to such substances during pregnancy. That'd be a satisfying circle, throwing the loop, uh, closing the loop of similarity between one and L's origins, deepening the theme of parental trauma present throughout the season, while also avoiding the introduction of random magical babies into the universe. What do you guys think? as good as any other explanation is there any evidence that victor creel's wife is doing fucking heavy duty psychedelic psychotropic shit though she seems like Not a pretty typical 50s housewife mm-hmm. um suspicious of her ch- I, I don't know i don't i don't i don't and i don't i don't know that a mutant baby really bothers me either um it could be the mutant baby because like to me to my um in my mind Brenner, we, we talked about him being an opportunist. Like he is just studying weird phenomenon and then increasingly weird phenomenon falls on his back. So like, or falls in his lap. So the one is like this random mutant that is able to do things with their mind. And that starts him like, well, how could you make more, you know, can we isolate the thing that makes this work? And that informs his work. And so I wouldn't have a real problem if the Genesis of one goes back to researching this one in a billion mutant, you know, like it doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. Does it, yeah, does it bother you, just... Jim? No, I mean, it doesn't. I think like the, the story we've been told so far is just that this kid decided he wanted to live a different life. Right. Um, like he, he's, right. he's the kid who like lays in bed at night trying to levitate his alarm clock and guess what? It actually fucking works. Right. Um, that's the thing he's got something about him that's different and, uh, and like we said as a child reading their parents thoughts like you know um as an innocent mm-hmm. child getting like true adult experiences and stuff like i think that would warp you you would think that like my god like you know these people are all violent sex obsessed guilt shame monsters that you know are better off dead like i could see if you're an eight-year-old peering into the minds of the adults around you it'd be a horrifying thing uh-huh. for sure yeah, I, I don't know. And then, you know, maybe you can duplicate the process with high amounts of LSD, right? Uh, open the doors of perception. God knows uh, I've tried. I'm still <laughs> I'm still not able to lift a damn thing with my mind. Right. Uh, ben says, Julie Campbell Bauer is listed in the credits, uh, or sorry, Jamie Campbell Bauer is listed in the credits of the first episode, yet he only appears as Vecna and not the orderly. Did the Duffer brothers really give away the big twist without us realizing it? If so, a very ballsy move. Um, knowing what the things I know about credits, uh-huh. it's not like if if uh, this guy's credited as a series regular because he's in the majority of them. If he's a special guest, there's like all kinds of ways that they could have, uh, you know, wriggled out of that little consistency. And and is it is Vecna played by the same guy that plays one because? I don't know. First of all, that destroys my Hopper Brenner combo theory <laughs> that course. I was still clinging to with my fingertips. But I think that's I, over anyway. But 
Yeah, I didn't think we, their eyes looked particularly the same, but maybe maybe it is. Maybe it is. Um, so I don't know. It might and it, it might be ballsy. It's also something. It's like, um, yeah. Like how would any ah man would anybody leap to that theory just because of that that thing? I mean, maybe. if they did, they they would be a bad idea. If they did, they don't really know much about Hollywood. Um, and yeah, credits because yeah, if you're a series regular, you get a credit the entire. Uh-huh season that you're in it's not it's not like per episode they do that with guest appearances where they'll sure. credit them per episode but yeah if if you're in a certain number of episodes they just make you a series regular and then you're in it's also the kind of thing i think would be discussed if this was a weekly release rather than a binge you know people would be obsessing over those kind of details in a time yeah. frame where it would actually matter you know probably um, I personally think they're showing us Dr. Brenner as being a good guy. He seemed to be generally caring for these children, yet when he believes Eleven kills them, his attitude changes, becomes more obsessive. That's why he's a bad guy in season one. My take anyway. That's a good point. Brenner didn't seem like as big an asshole in like this timeline where, where the 1979 timeline as he eventually gets up to being. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe well, he, maybe his heart, maybe he goes a little sterner because he thinks Eleven killed all those children for no reason. Uh huh. Yeah. So that's actually pretty cool. Finally, I believe Steve to be one of the best TV characters we've ever seen. His arc and where he is now is amazing, and Joel Joe Keery absolutely owns the performance. However, if they kill off Steve, the fans are going to riot. That's that's actually a good reason to kill Steve off if you're uh-huh. going to get that big of an emotional reaction from the fans. Um, don't want to do it too soon, but yeah, sure. I agree. He was so hateable in season one, <laughs> oh, such yeah. a bully, such a piece of shit. And now we all love him. That's a very, I think, realistic arc because teenagers are shitty people, man. Selfish, mm-hmm. rude, think they know everything. They don't know shit. Uh, it's like universal. Like you, you like if you, if you live through your teenage years, you pretty, you probably hate those years. And you know, it's just, 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 just not good. It's not good. People, people learn and grow and change. And Steve's a good example of that. So I agree. I don't know if he's the best character in all time. <laughs> it's been lots of great television, <laughs> right. but uh, he's a good one for sure. Mm-hmm. Finally, the final piece of feedback until we're back next month. Nicole from New Jersey says, you mentioned you think Brenner is Eleven's biological father. As far as we're told, it's not Brenner. The book Stranger Things Suspicious Minds, Andrew Rich is Terry Ives' boyfriend that's supposed to be Eleven's biological father. Unfortunately, he died after being drafted to Vietnam before Eleven or Jane were even born. Has anyone done the baby math? Hmm. When did this fucker go to Vietnam? When did he die? Right. What are the dates? I need to know because this is seeming sus. It's sus March 22nd. <laughs> <laughs> uh the cons- yeah they this March 22nd is the, the date everything happens in Hawkins. Yeah. Um unfortunately so as punishment to Terry by Brenner. Oh my god, Brenner, what an asshole. Sends his L's dad to Vietnam to get him killed. Wow. Uh according to the book he uses his influence to get the father drafted. Once she was born, Brenner took Eleven from Terry and raised her to believe he is her father. All the kids actually by making him refer to them as Papa, their only parental figure. Um, my question is, what is the canonicity of this book? Is this something that the brothers have said that they are going to stick to no matter what? Do they consider this as equal to what is on the screen? Even if they've said something like that, I really doubt it. Stranger Things Legends. Let's get rid of all this cruft from the books. Let's start over. 
apocrypha kevin j anderson back in here to write some books for us fuck yeah fuck yeah no i i first of all i think that there is uh, a couple holes here you could drive plot through you know it sounds like with the timing that they got some they got some wriggle room there some doubt that they're injecting into the story themselves and then then yeah like push comes to shove if they think of something better i don't know if they're going to be like well you know this paper book that like one one hundredth of our audience has read uh is did say the one thing and it's standing in the way of the other cooler idea we've got to finish i don't i yeah i, I think in the, that when that push comes to shove push is going to win so and are they really like combing through the books making sure they're not violating anything that's exactly happening in those when they don't remember that march 22nd is will's birthday it, well you know there's that there is that yeah uh, and that's it. That's all of your guys' thoughts that I could fit into the bulging. I thought this would be 60 minutes and ended up being an hour 20 uh, feedback episode of Stranger Things. And less than 30 days away, not even a month away from Stranger Things for uh, volume two when we'll have lots more feedback. If you got some other thoughts, again, maybe we'll have a, a kickoff feedback episode to get uh, everybody has a chance to read the Internet and get the choices, the theories uh, you can send that to us, stranger things at baldmove.com if you choose to do that. Uh, and all throughout the rest of our season four, um, or I guess uh, stranger things for watch. We got two more episodes, but they're a doozy. They're as long as almost five conventional length episodes. Mm-hmm. I think they're like two just short, short of two and just shy of three hours, respectively. And they're a month away. We have a surprise uh, while we're going to be away for the next couple of weeks. Um, if you are familiar with our Game of Thrones feed, we have a guy named Anthony, Maester Anthony, and his apprentice Steve uh, do a, a, a book club, chapter by chapter discussion of Game of Thrones with a retrospective on the Game of Thrones series. They're also huge Stranger Things fans, it turns out. Uh, they have their own Stranger Things podcast, and uh, they asked if we wouldn't mind uh, letting them share their thoughts with you on Stranger Things Volume 4 thus far in the weeks ahead. And we're like, well, shit, we're not using a feed for anything. Why not? So over the next couple of weeks, there'll be some episodes considering season- Stranger Things Volume 4 by Anthony and Steve. Uh, so give them a whirl if you'd like. And if not, we'll be back in a couple of weeks to talk about Stranger Things Volume 4. Uh, or Stranger Things Four Volume Two. Jesus, it's uh, all all this, all this. All, how to refer to all these split seasons, man? It's it's uh, it's it's more than I can process. Stranger Things at BaldMove.com for feedback. Until then, Anthony and Steve will keep you company. And until we come back, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. See ya.